This episode is brought to you by the generous patrons who supported us over at patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we want to give a big thank you to our patrons, Kate, Prostaskius, Leroy, Josh, Tiana, Falangor, Spike, Chris, Logan, Punch and Potato, and Jen Solo. Thank you again for helping us to put a little more inspiration out into the world. And now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another worldly episode of Inspiration Point. I am Andrew. And I'm Adam. Good evening. Good evening to you, sir. How was your week? My week was good. I've been playing some uh, some Elden Ring uh, uh, yes. as just about uh, half the entire planet has been doing <laughs> Recently, the game has like taken the nerd world by storm, and uh, with good reason. There, it is there's a one... big Skyrim sh- five, no six, sorry, Elder Scrolls six shaped hole in the soul of every gamer that I think Elden Ring has helped fill, while also introducing yes. people to Souls games. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely had a. Well, I shouldn't even say had have a reputation uh, that can definitely precede one jumping into any of those games. And it's kind of cool that Elden Ring has managed to kind of get people over the hump, I guess, of, you know, that kind of intimidation. And, uh, you know, you look at games like Bloodborne and Dark Souls and, you know, Demon's Souls way back in the day. And Sekiro and Neo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they all have this reputation of just being brutally hard. Um, and to a lot of people, just straight up not being fun. Um, and Elden Ring has walked this really, really great line of, like, it'll kick your butt real good but it also is open enough and gives you enough options where you can tangibly feel yourself grow and learn and you know there are a lot of very kind of opaque systems and menus that you kind of got to get the hang of and um, things like that and there there are lots of things to the game that are that are hidden um both in terms of like gameplay and uh menus and like systems as well as just things within the world no matter where you go or what you do there's always something to find that something might kill you dead but it might also be like super duper neat um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of exploration and discovery. Yes. And, yeah, it, it does f- find this fine line balance-wise between, you know, being this engaging experience while also being incredibly 
challenging. And I think that that's a difficult thing to, to find. But I've also noticed prior to this that a lot of people have gotten kind of tired of the sort of Assassin's Creed model that we saw over and over and over and over again. Um, and I oh, like yeah. I like a lot of those games, frankly. I mean, I love Ghost of Tsushima. I've talked about it on this show. Oh, um, yeah. I love um, Shadows of Mordor, Shadows of War. You know, and there's lots and lots of titles that are very similar to this. I mean, heck, even the Far Cry series, you know, basically oh, sure. points you at a thing. You go do the thing, and then you get a reward, and then you go do another thing, and you just follow markers. And at a certain point in a lot of these games, you forget what the storyline is or why any of it even matters. And you just go, 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 go. And well, and it doesn't really feel like exploring either. If you're being told where to go, it's like, I don't need to look around. If there's a big door marker, you know, pointing me directly at where the door is. I don't care what's to the left or the right of it. Right. You know, because the game found it for me. And, right. and so to a large degree, we've been like taught how to play games by the games we've played. Right. And what's fresh about Elden Ring to me, who's never played a Souls game prior to this. Right. Other than a tiny bit of Neo was um, like just being just like having expectations as a player to participate in my own fun as opposed to like sitting and receiving it. And Mm -hmm. I think that that has engaged me in a way that has made sitting around playing a silly video game feel more meaningful than it typically does. Oh, yeah. And so I really have enjoyed this experience as many times as I have died, of which there are many, many. (laughs) Sure. I mean, me too. It's um, I I think also. It's, you know, this this might sound very uh, pretentious or hoity-toity, but, you know, I I feel like it's also kind of a, uh, a maturation of tastes where, you know, like, like when you're a kid, you get used to, um, you know, using like, like a bubblegum toothpaste or something like sure, that. Sure, yeah. And and the, you know, the harsh minty grown-up toothpaste just doesn't taste good. Yeah, my kids and, always complain that it's too spicy. Yeah, <laughs> like I funny. I accidentally used my toothpaste when I was helping my kids brush their teeth. They start crying, like, right? Yeah. Oh my god, they start freaking out. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, what happened? And then I see blue, and I'm like, oh, that's the wrong one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I feel like it's kind of like that where you get, you may, we maybe found is like ourselves toothpaste. at a, yeah, where <laughs> we, you kind of find yourself at a point where the pain isn't as painful anymore, and you're kind of. You're more ready for it. And, you know, the so long as the game gives you enough ways to kind of cope with the pain and ways to learn from it. Right. Um, like, I, I think it it turns it into something re- rewarding instead of punishing. Yes. And 
and that can be a very difficult thing to achieve in, mm. you know, in, in your, uh, process of trying not to sound pretentious i'm going to say something very pretentious go for it so you know i like to read the art of war <laughs> oh here so is. here it is right but one of the things that sun Tzu talks about in that book is that um the enemy presents us with the opportunity for victory but we will supply our own defeat um yeah uh, yeah that definitely applies here. <laughs> it really <Test> applies <laughs> where like it's you're space. not so much, you know, fighting the game as much as you're fighting yourself. Like you're trying every time you die, it is 100% your fault. Um, you know, bar- yeah. barring any time where like maybe the camera got tangled up or, you know, something weird happened with the targeting system or whatever i mean but that's pretty few and far between i mean how many times have you died just walking off a cliff like an idiot you know (laughs) totally like so many times or like you're about ready to put that button input in and the moment you put it in you go i'm dead (laughs) before it even happens and you're like why did i do that what's wrong with me (laughs) i you know i i would i would amend that a little bit if only with uh, with the note that you know these games are, or, or rather, this specific game, uh, at the very least, I don't want to go talking out of school about games that I haven't played. Uh, but this this game is built on a foundation of trial and error, where you are you're gonna walk up to a boss who is going to trounce you especially if especially if you're not uh familiar with souls games i mean there there are some some guys out there who are like you know seasoned pros yeah so it's not like like every death is because you were objectively an idiot well not an idiot but you made a mistake you did something you shouldn't have done and well, I, I think there's also like you just didn't know something was coming. Well, let me let me compare that with something because I know exactly what you mean. And and you're right. The, the game is meant to be played through trial and error. But let me compare it to raid bosses in World of Warcraft. And um, I don't think you did too much of that. Uh, but I did. I did quite a bit. And then I did some for uh, Swartor. And mm-hmm. now those boss fights are much the same way, but they are is different in that if you don't do the mechanic as as like expected, then the damage spikes so insanely high so as to become unmanageable. And so you mm. must memorize the the route you, you can't. Like with a few exceptions, like some of them you could figure out as you did it. But for the most part, sure. it was the expectation that everyone in your guild would watch the video beforehand. Right. And right. some things just have weird timers or he does this, then he does this, then he does this. And there's no way to react without just knowing beforehand. Whereas at least in Elden Ring, like, yeah, you're unlikely to win the first time, but it is possible because it, you know, it varies for the most part. They're going to wind up. They're going to let out the pitch. And the only reason we ever die 
is because we wonder if we can attack in this moment. And we do it mm. when we're not sure or we over hesitate. Right. And so again, I feel like I'm constantly battling with my own psychology, which to me is fascinating. And and I think that it's uh, amazing that a game has done that uh, yeah. for me. And uh, like the, the world of Warcraft method of having to know outside information before you can play, you know, was just sort of inherently unfair. Whereas, mm. yeah, I mean, because not only that, but you had to like pay, right? So especially if you were tanking. So like if you, if you're, first of all, your whole guild wipes, not just you, your whole guild is going to wipe because you didn't do everything exactly perfectly. And then you had to go and it was still fun. Don't get me wrong, you know, and it still felt really rewarding when you knocked down that big boss and got the loot drops. That was yeah, a- but it's infuriating when you blow a six hour molten core run or something like that. Right. And there's well, and if there's no indication that, you know, a boss is, let's say, going to hit a rage timer. Right. Right. And, and you just have to know that. But there's no again, there's no wind up. There's no. I'm a fire. I'm a fire in my laser. You know what I mean? Yeah. You need that. You need that. And Elden Ring does that. Now, sometimes that wind up happens pretty dang fast. Oh, yeah. But I don't feel like I am memorizing dance steps and going through them as much as I'm just kind of getting used to what the repertoire of the monster is. So I I think there's a little bit of both, but I sure, I. Sure. I do agree with with you. I I just think, you know, most bosses. I have run into a few where I where I smacked them around the first time. But that's usually the exception, not the rule. For me, I usually wind up going in and, you know, I'll generally be able to like dodge the first move or two cuz I, you know, I'm at least trained enough to like watch for them to move first and if something's coming at me I try to move <laughs> but <laughs> beyond that like some of these a lot of these bosses really tend to have at least one or two moves that are kind of exceptionally long like they'll do like three hits and it'll kind of look like the move is wrapping up, but then they'll like transition into like one more big hit that's kind of staggered or something to kind of throw you a little bit. And it's things like that where I feel like, like there's no way you could see that coming, but now you know that that's a thing that they can do and you know to look for it. So I feel like there's a, a little bit of both, but It's either way, it hasn't felt uh, detrimentally frustrating. There have definitely been times where you're just like, oh, my God. But you want to throw the controller or whatever. But yeah, you know, everybody runs into Margit and is just like, what the heck? You know, (laughs) what's weird is I, I find the bosses in a lot of ways less frustrating, even though more difficult than a lot of the like mobs. Like the regular enemies. Oh, yeah. There, there's certain ones that are just. It's just <laughs> inf- 
infuriating. <laughs> like you see him pop up and you're like, oh, these guys. These oh, dudes. Man. Oh boy. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, anyway, we we have really enjoyed Elden Ring and we feel like we're learning things from it. Uh even Definitely. if not everything about it is totally perfect. I mean, nothing ever is. But if I were to, you know, if I were a game reviewer, I would definitely give it a 10 out of 10. I think in terms of what you can expect from a video game, you know, this represents um, really top tier work. And I, I find the whole project very impressive. Yes, I would agree. I, I think especially if you consider it from the perspective of it, I... I feel like a Souls game or a Souls-like game is almost a genre unto itself where oh for well, a, yeah. for for a Souls game you, there are there are certain expectations um you know like the difficulty and and stuff like that where it's it's a little difficult to really compare one-to-one the experience that's being delivered by Elden Ring compared to, say, something like Skyrim or even like The Witcher 3, where it's it's from software's uh, take on the open-world genre, but with all of its unique uh, souls design philosophy put onto it that makes it kind of its own unique sort of thing and it's it's a it's a heck of an experience and i love to see an artist's personal like flair or philosophy about design in their work right yes and i I think that was part of why i enjoyed batman so much uh Mm -hmm. is because it felt so authored you know yes and this game has an identity. Yes. And yes. We're yes. in a world where so many games we play are clones of each other. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you're still a, like a knight bashing things with swords. I mean, that's not original, but how well, how you they... aren't even necessarily right. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? I, you're, you're an adventurer and you run around and kill oh, monsters. Sure. Yeah. But it's, it's still has a distinction. And I think Witcher does that as well and in lots of yeah. other games. I mean, even Bethesda games, you know, their kind of philosophy is everything is, you know, exist detailed and accounted for. Right. You know, in almost painful detail, this world is populated. Yeah. Perhaps at the cost of everything in this world feeling totally unique. That's, I, I think that's one thing that... Uh, the that Elden Ring does very well is everything feels handcrafted. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, everything yeah. from the design to the placement of things. Like it's you don't have to is, go far to find something interesting and different. In fact, it's it's very difficult to try to go any distance without finding something interesting like you you could make an effort to ride in one direction and go you know i'm gonna see 
how far I can go before I see something that looks like I can interact with it in yeah. some little way. And like, I, I don't think I've ever ridden for more than a minute straight before I found at least like a little path or something where I was like, oh, I wonder what's over here. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, there is something. And that's cool. That's really, really cool. So to, you know, kind of transition a little bit from talking about Elden Ring to, sure you know, going into role-playing games a little bit more, which we typically talk about the TTRPG genre. Um, you know, I had a really difficult boss fight last night and that I had thrown at my players. And of course you were, you were there for that. Oh yes, yes, and yes, indeedy. One thing that I find sometimes irritating, sometimes comical, is, and and I'll, I will admit to being guilty of this, is player complaint when things aren't obvious, right? Mm. And this is something that I've taken a little bit from this Elden Ring experience, you know. Mm. It, it it's not just oh make everything deadly that's too simple right that's also missing the point right. like you know really interacting with something for what it is meant to represent beyond what it simply is is also extremely important like the players looking at the big monster and going i there's nothing i can do that's frustrating like i can i can understand it on the one hand but on the other hand, if you trust your DM and if your DM is worth their salt, they have provided you with a means by which to succeed. Right. And I think we all as players, and I will remember this when I'm in Strahd, right, is to accept responsibility, to accept that I am not in control of everything. And that's something you've been trying really hard to get me to do mm. in, in curse of Strahd. And now I feel like I'm getting the fun of that mm. a little bit more because of this experience. I can definitely agree with that. I, you know, I, I think the, the thing that I find difficult about that. And I, I agree with, all that for the most part the only the only difference for me is that in in a ttrpg versus a you know a video game like elden ring there are certain tells that includes that you have in in a video game that you don't really have in a ttrpg like especially in terms of like visual or sound cues or um and coupled with the fact that in a video game you can unless maybe you're playing something on a hardcore mode you if you fail at something you know insert a comment about loving your ones here but generally if you die trying to do something you can come back and give it another shot. And there's that, um, that 
fundamentally changes the entire way you interface with the experience. For me last night um, in the boss fight, I was sitting there like, like I, I could tell when you were saying things that were intended to be clues. Yes. And I could not for the life of me figure <laughs> out what the clue was, which then led me to think, okay, either a, it's not a clue for me and I'm not supposed to be figuring it out or it's, it is a clue for me and I'm, and I'm missing it. Mm-hmm. But if, if I'm missing it, I'm missing it. And, and that means like, you know, I, I can't just make myself think harder. And on top of that, it's, it's a fight where you've straight up said, like you could straight up die. Like this could be end of campaign like from a not even from a uh an in-game thing where it's like oh you could die but maybe there's something afterwards like kind of thing it's like this could be the end of this campaign if you guys buy the farm on this yes um and that kind of pressure at least for me and i would imagine certain other players um you know, I think some people thrive on that kind of pressure and it helps them think better. For me, like, I see that and it's like, well, you know, wh- what do I do? Like, start, you know, I don't want to randomly start hitting buttons. I want to come at this thoughtfully. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I can only sit here and absorb so many hits before I'm just out of resources, right? Well, so, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let me let me address a little bit of that at a time. So, number one, the you know having tells that is something we've talked about. I've talked about it a lot, specifically when it comes to traps, right? right. Like I don't like the invisible tile. Like yes, you know that. Oh, you stepped there. Well, you stepped in the trap, you fool. Like I hate that. Yeah. Right. I do believe we can put tells in turn-based games. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's easier to do so. Because yes, we're in that, full control, right? And that we can, kind of stuff you can, and we can absolutely sure. do that. Like On top of that, traps. And while we don't have that second to second reaction time, or that ability to redo and redo and redo, um, and sometimes you miss because of the dice, not because of anything you did wrong, right? And I totally understand that. Mm. But having said that, it is turn based, and. You know, one of the main complaints about D&D is the time it takes to do combat, right? Which means we have lots of time to think. And we can message each other and we can ask questions. And preferably all of that is done in game, in character. You have a you have a key PC who was the one who specifically activated the ritual. Right. And you were told up front that you would all be battling mirrors of yourselves. And then the villain is repeat that the the monster is repeatedly telling you what its deal is. Right. Um, you know, there's there's not much more to say. Well, and that's that's what had me thinking like, okay, maybe this is not something that is directed at me that I am supposed to be figuring out. Yes, um, and and also trust that I am a nice GM. 
or at least fair, let's say. And so you're not going to perish because you rolled a one, right? I'm just not going to let that happen. Sure. Like death is going to come as a result of fundamentally not engaging with the encounter like in the way that it is intended, like or ignoring character growth or something like that. If yeah. if the dice happen to to catch you and things get out of hand, then I will do what I've done in the past, which is make some stupid reason why you lived after all. Right. Sure. And I have given you guys, I think, three different big resurrection give gimme moments. Oh, yeah. You know where that that happens. But one player character has not returned. Right. You know what I mean? And there's there's reason for that. So it's, you know, and again, this sounds really pretentious and I hate to say it, but when you do get to these higher levels, I mean, this is a lot. You know how much prep it takes to run a D&D game and you have a certain expectation from your players to have them engage with you on a certain level. Right. And if they don't, then we cannot go further in this social contract that we sure. have constructed between us. And as we as we approach level 20 and promise to reach level 20, you know, we must be willing to to engage with it on that level. And if we can't, then that's fine, because there's lots of other games we can play. Sure. Right. Someone else could GM or I could start something else or we could try fate, you know, like lots of lots of fun things could happen. Oh, we don't yeah. we don't have to keep doing this. So. I, I hear what you're saying in terms of, well, you you don't get to come back to life infinitely. True. Fair enough. Absolutely. But we, we do, if we are good DMs, let's say, we do provide those tells in meaningful ways. So. Oh, I'm, I'm, to be clear, I don't want to sound like, like I am saying that the tells weren't there. I'm just saying, you know, I, in fact, I even, at least as far as I can tell, uh, you know, I, I did even notice them. They just, I was having difficulty. Yeah. And this is not a, this and, is not a personal accusation by any means. I would not, oh, sure, sure. I would not dare do that, but you're right in that it's not for you, but at the same time, right. your character can say hey so and so i think it's saying this right like sure you can certainly help that along fair you know? enough fair and enough. so i i also totally didn't want to like start um stepping on toes and stuff oh yeah like that. you that's know, that's you, also you want if it's yeah. if it's intended for someone else you typically you know you want to give them the satisfaction of figuring it out themselves but yeah, you know, it, see something, say something, right? <laughs> yeah. So, right. Um, um, we are 30 minutes in. So, yes. Why and don't we have we, a topic? Yeah. Let's transition a little bit into part two of our world building exercise. Yes. So, last time we started looking at the book, The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide. Prompts and activities to create and customize your own 
game world. This is by James yes. D'Amato. And uh, he's also the author of the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide. So, uh, I, which I also have a copy of. In fact, I actually have a couple of copies of that. Um, nice. So these books are all about getting you to think. And the last time we got together and, and spoke, we went over the first 10 questions asked as part of a fantasy campaign setting. Mm-hmm. And we developed a, a sort of silly <laughs> little world. Um, yes. and, and we answered uh, the following questions. We, we asked questions like, is magic present in this world? If so, how common is it? What mm. major event in this world's history is remembered largely inaccurately? Mm. What happens to people when they die? Which creatures ah, yes. are capable of speech? What is special about the shape of this world? Mm. What unseen forces have power here? Is there a place here known for peace? Is it easy to find? What mystery has gone unsolved for as long as anyone can remember? What is something very commonly understood? And what is something considered secret knowledge? And the last one was, which landmark stands as a permanent reminder of a major event? Describe it. Mm, that's right. So, what do you vaguely recall what we had gone over last time? And oh, what definitely. our world was? You want to you give us the broad strokes? Yeah, so basically the world that we are building... Um, is essentially it's shaped like a bowl, kind of. If you imagine having like a sphere of clay and using your thumbs to push in at one point so you get this kind of uh, rounded, deep indentation, um, that's essentially the shape of the world. And that indentation came from one of the gods who, when uh, the world was young, it was more spherical and had this big Pangea sort of supercontinent kind of thing. And he thought, you know, uh, this it needs more smaller continents. So he smashed it in the middle. And when with he a hit it, with a hammer, in fact, yes, uh, the only implement ripe for smashing. Uh, so blows this thing apart. The continents go out and where he hits, it makes this huge impact, basically like a huge crater and the continents go out and around to different points on, on the world. And at the very deepest part of this indentation is a fissure that if crossed through one could cross over into the spirit realm where uh when folks die or rather i think when pretty much anything dies it's their spirits switch over to the spirit realm and that is also where magic comes from and that fissure is kind of the uh, the opening through which the magic leaks out into the world. Um, magic is uncommon in this world 
though, um, you know, people people know it exists. I think we did decide that. Um, let's see. Oh, the landmark uh, that kind of stands as a reminder for as to what happened when that hammer blow hit, it shifted the tectonic plates that were around there and pushed them up and out through the uh, kind of now the upper edge of the bowl. So you have this big ring of mountainous spines around the outside and this mountain range kind of dips in and out of the sea um, around the planet. And actually, in the time between when we recorded last and now, I actually had a thought um, in terms of travel where you would have these ships that would sail around. And if they're in on the inside of the bowl, if you will, sailing up, basically you get to a point where you would almost have to go vertical. Um and even with uh, engines and motors and um, big sails and things like that, you'd get to a point where it's very difficult. So that had me think that at a few points around the, uh, the mountain range, you'd have essentially uh, like, I- imagine like huge, heavy-duty, harbor cranes that as ships get to a certain point on their approach to come out of the inside of the bowl to then move over to the outside, you have this double-sided crane that can reach down like a claw machine almost, grab the ship and lift it up out of the bowl rotate around and set it back down on the outside so it can continue on. Um, so, okay, that, well, let's, that's where let's I pause got there. It. That's a lot more detail than I thought we were going to get, but that's good. So now we're all caught up with uh, what we covered last time. Let's all start right. in on the questions with our last 20 minutes. All right. Uh, okay. Number 11. And think about this, by the way, for the listeners, you know, consider these questions and how you would answer them in your in your own game, right? In your own world. In fact, uh, I I mentioned this late last time, uh, but, you know, if you're listening along um, and you're not driving, (laughs) yes, and you're not driving, um, you know, listen to the questions and you can even try to answer them for yourself yeah maybe pause and write it down or go out and get this book you know that might also be good there Uh, you go you know we're not sponsored or anything but uh would love to have them on the show sometime yes indeed uh number 11 how do people travel long distances in this world so in skyrim you click on the uh carriage driver and that's how you go and then once you've revealed everywhere you just sort of teleport somehow Mm. Um, I, I would say on land, you're, you're talking typical modes, you know, it's yeah, land and sea and air. These could be the possibilities in Morrowind. They have these 
uh, these like stilt oh, walker things, stilt striders, stilt striders, like yeah, bugs. Yeah, they were like big ticks with like super long legs, and they would yeah walk over the the world. Um, they would I stride, think, if you will. Yeah, and uh, with like the Dragonborn DLC, I think in Skyrim you could eventually get like your fast travel dragon, which was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, lots of games have different methods in. Uh, Mass Effect, you are using your ship, the Normandy, to get from planet to planet, right? Mm. So, and and you're also traveling via those mass relays. Right, that's right. To yeah, go large distances. Right. Yeah. You. So you, you. That's how you get real FT, FTL or whatever. Yeah, I'm thinking that in this world, um, like we just discussed a bit, for long distance travel. Um, it's by sea and you have these different um, ships that are equipped for, uh, you know, if you, if you look at like nautical history, you had, um, there's even a great board game about this called the uh, merchants and marauders mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's a very cool board game about the golden age of piracy. So if that sounds interesting to any of you, go check it out. Um, but you've got like, galleons and frigates and um you know even like a man of war and things like that different ships built for different purposes shipping goods or fighting or um things like that you could even have like big uh like pleasure cruise liners and things like that uh could even be a good uh uh avenue to bring in maybe some light steampunk kind of technology um, so you're traveling large distances by ship unless you're doing, uh, overland, in which case it's, you know, by horse or, um, you know, maybe even the odd motorized thing, but maybe that'd be rare. Okay, perfect. Um, so those are, those are a good way to do some travel. Yeah. Um, by the way, it's it's a good opportunity for a nice set piece, right? To help give that flavor, that moment that you travel from maybe wherever you started the adventure to where the main like crux of the story is going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. that can be a that can be a really big deal. Agreed. Number 12, what is re- rel- what is a relatively <laughs> recent invention that dramatically changed this world? Ah, the I I would say the um like a it, an extra strong uh ship engine an extra strong engine is it is it based on like a specific kind of technology is it steam powered is it magic crystals is it um combustion how is it working let's say and why couldn't why is this recent like who developed this Right, because this this can branch into more questions because, like, it's very fascinating that in, in like a medieval fantasy setting we have engines, right? So they they got to be made of something. They do. Um, I like the idea of it being steam power, especially in a ship, where it'd be cool to have. Um, you basically have pumps in the ship that are pulling in seawater and uh maybe filtering out 
the salt and boiling off the um, the water to get that steam power. Um, you know, given that it's a ship, having the having all that water around, it'd be cool to be able to use that as a resource. Um, I don't know who the you know who the scientist would be, <laughs> but. I had a thought for a, a different setting, perhaps where, um, because I was thinking of like the Hellfire engine from Morden Canyons, mm-hmm. or, or maybe it's Volos. I forget which one, but anyway, um, like what if like an inventor is like, I invented this, but he's really just a warlock, you know? And, oh, and like literally all of his stuff is powered by demons. But everyone else just thinks it's super complicated technology, and so they just shrug and go, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's literally like spreading hell all around. That could be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Number 13, what is considered rare and valuable? What is common and essential? Mm. So, this is something I did in a world that I created for my students. I got rid of copper, silver, and electrum entirely. And I just inflated all the gold prices. And then I made jade really important. Um, so, Interesting. yeah. And because for something, something story happens, jade is the thing that captures the essence of monsters and demons uh, mm. used for crafting and enchanting. Um, gotcha. But then, so all their gold rewards are really high, but then everything is expensive. So it was just a way to like kind of play with it. Like maybe copper and silver exist, but they're just used for tools and things. Right. Oh man. Um, you know, I, I do feel like, like, uh, like a resources sort of thing like it on the surface of it. It sounds like an arbitrary kind of thing. Like I'll just pick something and say that that's valuable. Like whoop-de-doo. Um, but, but why it's valuable is kind of where the magic of the question lies, right? I mean, you think about what the world's powers have done in the name of oil control, right? Or, oh yeah. Or gold itself or just land or water, right? I mean, what, um, one thing that I find really fascinating, you remember, um, Dishonored? Yeah. Right. It's another Bethesda game. It was kind of a stealth magic killer thing. Um, Their technology was like almost entirely based around whales. Like that's true. Yeah. Everything was like carved from whale bone or was powered by whale blubber or something like that. And and Mm -hmm. so whales had this like almost magical, sad, you know, tragic um magic and power about them um it really added to a lot of the flavor of of that of that world that's that's very true that's a great example i had completely forgotten about that yeah um i i, I love dishonored honestly the first one the second one i i could i could leave but the first one was i thought a really amazing game hmm. you know i almost wonder um about lumber Hmm. like you know it it can be used in building ships it also can be used in fueling said true ships 
Um, I mean, that would that might even be an alternative to your steam if you didn't want to go with that. Like this particular type of wood is like ever burning or something or, you know, the or the burn it creates is so powerful that it gets more, you know, oomph to whatever it is you're powering. Ooh, you know, here we go. Maybe there are special trees that grow on the inside of the bowl uh, because yes. they're closer to that the impact area, spot the impact spot where right where magic comes through so that magic is able to infuse those trees that grow on the interior so that's what we'll call the parts of the planet too we have the we have the spine and we have the interior and we have the exterior and the the trees that grow on the interior have various magical properties that those on the exterior do not i'm starting to imagine like a semi magical sort of native population that lives on the interior and you know the folks on the exterior perhaps not as enlightened but maybe technologically right. superior, you know, coming in to sort of colonize and, and take the magic trees, you know, right. that could be an, an interesting, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little overdone, but that could be one way to, to do it. Yeah. But I do like magic trees, trees, magic trees. important because maybe, like it's, maybe it's, it's just Elden ring. I've been playing too much, right? They're like big tree. We <laughs> like big tree. We do like big trees, you know, but that that's very human, though. Like we have a we have a spiritual connection to trees, you know, in a way that that we don't with with some other materials. You know, it's just millions of years of evolution being around them. I I, I do have to say, I think of all like the different uh, environments that you find in, you know, typical fantasy. I think I think forests are probably my favorite. Oh yeah, I think so, and I, I I'm sure there's got to be a, a reason for that, you know. But there is something magical, serene, mysterious, and dangerous. It's fun to climb trees. It do be fun to climb trees. It's true, it and do. and you know, wet forest in the morning. It's a nice smell, especially with a little burned out campfire. Oh yeah. Also, it is far less dangerous to climb a tree than it is a mountain. That's, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> not to say it's still not dangerous. Did you know that some mountains have forests on them? Oh, man, that's like the best I mean, of everything. Wow. Colorado is my happy place, so <laughs> for sure. You know, yeah, and the older I get, the more I'm like, what if we just went outside and walked around yeah. some trees? Like, I want, I've been wanting to, like, take up fishing, you know? I've never really? cared about fishing my whole life. And then like the last couple of years, I've been like, you know, it'd be cool fishing. <laughs> yeah. Because when you're a kid, you're like, ah, that is boring. You're it's just literally sitting, sitting there for a yeah. while. And then you get to be our age and you're like, yeah, it's boring. You just sit there. It's so quiet. All right. <laughs> it's perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, we're crotchety okay. yeah let's go to 14 when not in person how do people communicate 
How has this method of communication affected society? You know, in a in a world of ice and fire, they make a big deal about the ravens all the time. Ravens are used to communicate over long distances mm. all the time. And of course, that has historical precedent. But yes, some fantasy settings might use like magical mirrors to speak to each other or sending stones. There's lots of ways to tackle this. I I actually think it could be fun um, to 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 have it be written letters like correspondences that are mm. carried via courier services. Um, and you can even have uh, certain courier services that offer, um, you know, more quicker or more secure methods of transit you know the this world's you know version of USPS UPS FedEx DSL you know or D- DHL um DSL's yeah. internet um what if what if bringing in the trees a little bit here what if instead of like typical wax people use magic tree sap to seal the letter and that magic in the seal somehow gets the letter somewhere really fast Mm. and then like that makes it an incredibly important uh discovery because like whoever controls these trees effectively controls communication Mm. that almost sounds a little too powerful to me (laughs) is that freaking you out a little bit yeah like like i I want it to be something that is just purely mundane. I don't want it to be magical. I, okay. Like, okay. I I want it to be something that's just, like, if you want to get a message to someone, you got to write it down. And if they're far away, it's going to take a while. Right. And having that, having that separation and having to deal with, you know, if I have to send a letter by ship across the world like that that creates some very interesting disconnects especially if we're looking at at the people who who inhabit the interior versus the people that inhabit the exterior and the people that man the the lifts on the spine those guys would be really interesting because they're seeing both kinds of people pass through. So they're getting the crossover. You know, you're hearing a little bit of talk from interior people traveling out. You're hearing some communications from exterior people traveling in. Um, so stopping and having like ins and things like that at these lift points around the upper perimeter of the bowl create these like really cool information hubs. Yeah. that And that makes a lot of opportunity for adventurers to, you know, effectively be mail carriers. Right. But it's dangerous to do that. So it's like, what if, um, 
what if Cliff Clavin was actually heroic? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like actually did all the stuff he would brag about. Right. Um, and I mean, that's a quest we get a lot in, in games is, uh, deliver this message to so-and-so. But what if that's like a really big deal? Right. Yep. Yep. Like it's like most people don't even cross communicate because maybe the places between are so incredibly dangerous. Right. And so right. to actually deliver a letter is like only probably only like really rich people usually get to do that. So, but that's, that's just one way to do it. Um, okay. So number 15, what fear is shared by many people across this world? What measure have they taken to guard against this fear? Oh man, these are these are tough questions. They're um, good questions. They're good questions. They're really good thinkers. They are. They are good questions. Everything. Something that everybody is afraid of across the world. So in Game of Thrones, they would always say winter is coming. Oh, uh, yes. Right, and that is pretty much their answer for this. You know, and if you believed in the White Walkers, then they were the big ever-present menace or dragons or whatever. There was mm. there was something that people could talk about. Um, you know, it even you could make goblins a bigger deal, right? Like instead of just being like the joke idiots that you just murder all the time, you know, they could be like a serious problem, like in Goblin Slayer. Mm. Um, I, I I don't have it in me to make goblins anything but absolutely bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> you make great goblins, man. Like Thank the you. best, the best Thank goblins. You. you know, um, if I have to have any claim to fame, the uh, there could be a good one. There there could be like the kingdom over there, you know, something. Rat plague is a big problem in the dishonored world. Mm, that's true. That's true. So let's see. I think it's got to stem from the separation between the exterior and the interior. Um, hmm. Are people no, I, on the interior or exterior afraid of each other? Or are there creatures that only exist on one side? You Maybe know, people have the wrong idea about each other. I I wonder if people are afraid of an environmental collapse that the mountain range can seem unstable and maybe there are quakes and stuff that happen there. Um, and they are worried that the interior could somehow split from the exterior, that the whole planet could like crack open and it'd be like the interior was just nested inside the exterior and it'd just drift out into space and you'd have like basically an empty shell that's the exterior as the interior just floats off into space. So it's so impending environmental disaster or that it yeah. could happen. Like what is perpetuating this idea that this is going to happen? Like, or like the mages from the Academy telling people that this is what's going to be 
happening? Are there prognosticators that exist? Is there science? Um, you know, or is it folklore that's based on absolutely nothing? Hmm. Man. We're, we are going to fry your brain tonight. Yeah, no kidding. We're going to put um, it on a skillet and fry it up. Hmm. Maybe that's what they're afraid of being asked tough questions. <laughs> you know, you know what I, you know what I think it's got to be is tales from sailors. Like that's mm. all, that's always been a thing in history. Like, you know, the, the stuff that sailors would talk about in port. Right. Like, yeah. Oh man, you wouldn't believe some of the crazy stuff I've seen. That actually makes a ton of sense because, because the communication in this world is so cut off that hearsay yeah. and rumor are actually serious problems. Right. And it basically turns into a blown up game of telephone yes. where like some guy <laughs> you know, was on his ship getting lifted over the spine and a quake hit that portion of the spine. And it seemed like the whole thing was going to crack wide open. And other guys had experienced that same sort of feeling elsewhere on the spine. And it kind of catches on and people start elaborating on it. And going, oh, I felt this, I felt that, and then you know, so right? And, and then and the rulers can blame all problems on, well, you know, the tectonic plates, you know, <laughs> the, yeah, exactly, the mountain ranges, you know, it, it's like the new way of saying in this economy, or <laughs> <laughs> like you don't really know anything, but you say that, and everyone's like, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, 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 of totally course, makes sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Cool. Like I okay. like I feel like nowadays like you could just say, well, you know, gas prices, well, you know, COVID. Yep. And you can pretty much just absolve yourself of any responsibility whatsoever. Hey, you know, with with COVID being what it is, you just that that's pretty that's pretty much true. <laughs> so, uh number 16, what is something you wish existed in the real world? that does exist in this one. Oh man. <laughs> Let's see. You are going to fry my brain. Um, Why can't you just ask questions like, what are the bears like? <laughs> what are the bears like? Brutal and awesome. See, bears are my answer because I'd be like, how come there aren't bipedal, like humanoid, you know, English speaking bears with like Russian accents. Oh my God. Okay. I've got it. Okay. It's, it's a bit of a riff on what you just said, but this is something that I always wish was a thing. And I completely forgot about it. And what you so, just said popped it let's back do in it. my head. Let's do it. Miniature domesticated pet bears. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They're about the size of a small dog. They're kind of roly poly. Oh my God. And they just kind of, and instead of fur, these are basically barbalutes. (laughs) What's a barbalute? Barbalutes and their barbalute suits. They're, they're Dr. Seuss bears from the Lorax and other things. I'm going to go look. 
I'm going to go look those up. And they've got, like, people teeth instead of bear teeth. Oh, God, no, 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 no. They've got <laughs> sharp-ass little teeth. Um, but they are just incredibly adorable. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's kind of like the Poros in uh, League of Legends. They have these there's little snowball creatures with little horns. Yeah, and, the um, that's the guy that... Uh, Brom Hi- is... Hi- Heimerdinger has one that follows him around in yeah, Arcane, Heimer- right? Correct, correct, yes. Right. Yeah, I love those little freaking buggers. So, yeah, Poros were like a thing they tried out one year, and then like everyone was like, I need all of the merch that has to do with that. And then Riot was just like, eh, okay, so this is a thing now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. you make a cute, cuddly creature and, you know, must protect, right? I mean, even, you know, Star Wars does it to mixed results, right? The. Yep. Ewoks. What, what, yeah, they had the Ewoks. And um, what was a new one that like the, Chewbacca almost ate one? They, they were the they were the, the, the I forget what they or, called They They were like little um, little puffin bird things, right? Yeah, they're like puffin squirrels or something. I don't even know. But yeah. Like, they didn't really land the same way, but there's been other things that, that do. I mean, heck, even, like, Grogu slash Baby Yoda, oh, you know, God, was essentially yeah. the, the cute, cuddly thing for everyone to get obsessed about. Sure um, is. But that's actually a great addition to this world, you know, just little pet bears. You yep. Know? Imagine um, them being on the ship. Okay, so in... uh there. You know, sailors are typically considered, you know, at least in mythology to be, you know, a superstitious bunch of folks. There are certain things that you do and certain things you don't do on a ship. It's bad luck to not have a ship bear. All right. And what are we going to call these tiny bears? They need to have a special name that is just as adorable as it sounds. All right. (laughs) <laughs> that's Hold the on. real question. Hold on. Cause naming things is incredibly important. Um, mm, let's say, mm, what about like an Ursel? Okay. A little Ursel. I like that. That works. It's like based on Ursine. Right. Um, and that, but it also sounds small and mini. So that works. Um, you have, and then like that also can have to do with like star navigation in a way, which, uh, you know, could add to the idea that they're lucky on ships, even if they're not really <laughs> like, yeah, you um, know what? Change it, change it from Ursul is like a having the L E on the end feels weird. Let's call it an Ursu. Ursu. That's got a, yeah. it's got a nice clean clip at the end of it. Yeah. I like it. Ursu. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty adorable. That's a good little name. And I look forward to playing in this world and collecting Ursus. I'm going to get so many. That's right. Like this. Uh, this is merch right here. This is how you yeah. sell your setting, right? This is the this is the merch question. Um, going to have a little a little uh, fluffy Ursu dice bag with a zipper on its tummy. But I, I love bears, by the way. Bears are my favorite animals. Um, they are. They're super great. Also, Stephen Colbert's least favorite animals. <laughs> yes. And if anyone hasn't watched 
like the old school Comedy Central Colbert show or yeah, the Colbert Report. Um, go like look them up on YouTube or something and just look for like Stephen Colbert Bear Rant or something like that. They're so that cool. was the best. That was that was the golden age. Um, coming in at number one, bears. <laughs> Um, Godless killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Number 17. What annual event is celebrated in many different ways across this world? Mm. So in my world, we have the essentially Independence Day for Spearhaven, the main um, city that we work with in, mm. in that setting. Um and then I forget what the opposite one was actually about. I forgot. It was in my own world. Uh, it might have just been uh, like a new, like a spring thing or whatever. Mm. But um, what, what is that big holiday? The date of the first, um, uh, what, what, what would you call it? The trans something the the date of the completion of the first successful voyage from the interior to the exterior okay yeah that would be a pretty big landmark event yeah the connection between those two parts of the world yes the day where the world first celebrated its super bowl I think that's what the holiday should be called, Super Bowl. I think that's what the planet should be called. Yeah, it's just called Super the Bowl. The Super Bowl. I'm just picturing this, like, god that made this thing. He's just, like, got a beer helmet on. Heck yeah. It, it's just like this dwarf trying to, like, have some sports. Mm. He's poking this planet like, hey, invent sports. Hurry up. Invent sports. <laughs> invent sports. I need competition. Look at all the conflict I created for you. How come you're not fighting? <laughs> there are so many reasons for fighting. Psych. That would be hilarious. Um, oh, okay. Here's another one. Uh, number 18. How do the skies of this world look different from the sky we know? Oh. So, you know, Tatooine has its three suns, right? And then you've got, um, I, I made a world where everyone can look up and there's a big dragon god floating around. Oh, um, It's just always there. And um, uh, that's pretty cool. In God of War 4, you can basically look out and see Jormungandr. Yes. Yes. Which is really, really cool. Uh, sometimes we see other planets in the... Uh, Forgotten Realms, you look up at the moon and a piece of it is broken off into little chunks that trail behind it, known as the Tears of Saloon. Mm, I think it's it's different depending on where you're at. If you're on the interior, you're you're and you look if you are dead center on the interior and you look straight up, you apart from your periphery, you you might basically see what seems like a normal sky. But generally, if you kind of let your periphery 
go and you kind of look out to the sides, the sky is a, it's a big circle that's bordered by the rim of the world, right? So if you're on the exterior, it looks just like the sky in, in our own world. You look up and it's just atmosphere. If you're on the edge, if you're on the spine, like if you're one of these guys that, um, that works on these, uh, the towers on the one side, you can, it's like, you can almost look down into the bowl and see the light of these cities and places that might be down inside the bowl. But to the other side, you can look out and you're just seeing like space, which would be a trip. Yeah, um, that is pretty cool. Like, I like the idea that that also raises the question, like how gravity would work in this world. Yeah, yes, it does. Right. And the answer is, oh, (laughs) (laughs) you are held down to whatever surface you're nearest. You know, this is is something they did in Dragon Ball Z where like um, gravity was a big deal for training and stuff. And oh, yeah. Like the idea was that when Goku goes to King Kai's world, it's super dense, like the gravity is super heavy because it's um, small because it's small but like in reality it's literally the opposite of that (laughs) yeah i trained in 800 times gravity now i supersede a god (laughs) yeah it basically is how they explain everything is something something gravity training because how how do you train when like people are moving at the speed of light you know like what kind of push-ups are you doing at that point so yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Uh. Number nineteen. So we're almost done. You ready, Andrew? No. But bring it. What on. figure do people most commonly tell stories about? How are these stories told? Oh my god. Ah. Uh... <laughs> So the great hero, Ursu the First, emerged on the world. Oh, you, it's it's got to be the captain of the ship that made that first voyage. It's oh, like, hey, that's you know, a good idea. Like, like Columbus or Leif Erikson or something. It's this larger-than-life sort of Blackbeard-esque, you know, intrepid adventurer who would brave the, you know, the however many seas there are. Um, <laughs> the several seas. The, the several seas. That sounds so underwhelming. The 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 few but not precisely quantified seas. We're pretty sure there aren't like more than ten, but there are conflicting opinions. Also, don't quote me on any of that. <laughs> How does one define a sea <laughs> or an ocean? Um, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I like I like the idea of of there being this this uh, you know 
this uh, nerves of steel kind of unflappable super captain who just, you know, wasn't afraid of anything and, you know, would just face face the odds and beat them every time without batting an eye. Um, so the second part of that question was, how are these stories told? Like, is it oral tradition? Do, Absolutely. books? Oral tradition. Okay. Definitely. Okay, so they're just passed on. So they're probably wildly inaccurate, right? Totally. Right? And so super fun. Is that... Is that oh, he was eight of... foot tall. Weighed 800 pounds. <laughs> and he had... He had eyes in the back of his head. No, no, real eyes in the back of his head. It's not a figure of speech or nothing. Could see out the back of his head. And that's why all the sailors shave the back of their heads so they can see better. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. And, like, then then maybe during the course of the adventure, you, you know, you come to... Maybe even meet the guy, you know, and it's just like a total letdown. (laughs) Oh, um, totally. (laughs) Who can live up to such a reputation? It's like you meet this guy and he's like the one sailor who has like super long hair and it's just a shaggy mess. He's like shaving the back of your head. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Who does that? It just looks dumb. I keep telling people, don't do that. Any crew on my <laughs> ship, I see a guy shave the back of his head, just the back of his head. He's not on my crew long. I kick him off. Hey, are you still sailing? Nah, I get seasick. Nah. <laughs> Man, you wouldn't believe just the up and down and up. I hit about, oh. you know, 34, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Just eh. I was on the downside of one of those <laughs> lifts. And man, the cable snapped 30 feet from the surface of the water and my stomach just shot up into my brain. And uh, man, that was that was it for me. <laughs> just I, I must have thrown up for a week straight. <laughs> but I do have a large collection of rum here. Uh, who wants to take a look at my- <laughs> Why is the rum gone? Um, so, yeah, that would be great. That's that's classic. Perfect. Um, so, the final question. Oh, man. And in a way, we've almost already kind of answered this question. This question I find somewhat underwhelming, but it's it's fine. How important is technology to the daily lives of people in this world? Yeah, I think we I think we kind of have hit this. Um, we we've come to understand that we have. Some degree of steam technology. We have super rare trees that are magical and that, you know, courier service is difficult. Right. I would say technology in in terms of like advanced technology, people aren't using advanced technology on a on an individual and day to day basis. Like, it's not like people have, like, steam-powered stuff in their homes. Um, But on a macro scale, you know, trying to get communications 
between different places is important. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe there are, you know, steam technology is starting to move around and be adapted a bit. Um, maybe there are like, uh, you know, some prototype or very early kind of vehicles like the odd car or something like that, but they're super, super rare. Like only the most rich uh, have these. Otherwise, it's like, you know, horse and carriage still. Um, right. Sure. And yeah, I I would I would say that otherwise there, you know, people are this is what would you say? Like like pre-industrial revolution. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of where we're getting like. I'm getting the sense that because land travel is so dangerous that the necessity and the opportunity to get wealthy from developing seafaring technology has, you know, basically jump started that, you mm -hmm. know, kind of like how in our world communication technology is like way further ahead than pretty much any other kind of technology. That's true. Like, like even our space travel is like just, not move that much but our ability to text each other is like dramatically <laughs> more powerful oh yeah oh yeah you know? we can send inane bullcrap around the world in the blink of an eye like <laughs> man really i can yeah our our phones are in a different like um time period than anything else we own right oh, totally um you know, because of because of computer technology, but like our cars really a lot better <laughs> than they were, you know, 20 years ago. Like they just have bells and whistles that come from computers, right? Well, I mean, come on, really, really think about it, though. Like our look at a Model T. And look I, said, at, I said 20 years. Oh, I said 20 oh, you, years. You, you did. You, yeah. you did say 20. Yeah. I, like, I that. like my mom had a Honda Civic when I was a little boy and people can still get a Honda Civic in, you know, there it's, it's a little nicer. <laughs> well, but you also look at things like um, stuff that on first glance, someone wouldn't really notice, but there are like actually some, uh, some serious technological innovations in terms of like safety and the engineering behind things, even yeah, but like, not, but not to the extent that phones have changed. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, cause I remember my, my uncle having like a rotary phone and we, I think we even had one in my house when I was really, really little. Sure. Um, compared to like the idea of even having a landline is just like completely unnecessary now. That's Unless you're true. like a business, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's just kind of funny. I, su I suppose so, in order for vehicles to make that leap, it would have to be like, like flying cars or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And in, oh, in I want a plane, jet plane travel, so I think has gotten worse probably, you know, like, Traveling by plane is just trash, absolutely. Um, so it's this has just been my boomer explanation to to tie the real world into. <laughs> sometimes one part of your technology moves faster than another. Sure. So, 
And it's usually just because of whatever the demand there is for it. Yep. So Yes, indeedy. You know, so I could see in this world, like, okay, we're not going to, like, really upgrade from the horse and buggy because, honestly, it's just dangerous and impractical to go anywhere by land. So our sea travel is awesome. Yeah. 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 So, I dig it. Man, that's one way to this world is freaking crazy. Also, like, you know, because you have magic trees, you therefore have magical wood. You therefore have magical boats, right? So you can, this is where we could get into like flying ships and crap. Yes. So, um, you know, or just insanely fast ships or Oh, something. totally. I you mean, know. you could even have um, at the at the lift docks on the spine. Um, that could even be a place where, if you were to introduce like um, like astral fairing vessels, that's where you take off. You'd have that kind of direct line of access from those. Uh, ports along the spine that lift the ships in and out from the interior to the exterior um if there ever were things that could you know cruise out into space you'd do it from that upper rim of the world where you can you know just have a straight shot out into the void which could be really cool yeah i totally dig it you know it's Building this world with you and answering these questions and also talking about Elden Ring, it makes me want to start like another thing where like you have this open world that the players can like roam around in and like every hex has got interesting things going on. Sounds like a ton of work, but it would I be I was going to really say, cool. as you said that, it just made me so tired. <laughs> right and i mean and it's basically what storm king's thunder is um except for there's long distances of travel where nothing interesting happens um womp but womp. uh and that was problematic but i feel like if you design your own world and make it let's say smaller <laughs> there you go because when because when we talk about world design particularly when it comes to like where you're actually gonna where your play space is actually gonna happen most likely your players aren't going to literally travel the entire world. I mean, maybe they do. Why not? But what I like to do is say, here's the broad strokes of what the whole world is. What are the details? I don't know. Right. But because it's like, well, why don't you know? Well, no one in the world knows, you know, because this hasn't been traveled. Like, I really like to landlock my worlds where maybe that navigation technology hasn't been developed so that we can stay somewhat local. Mm. And and so there's a lot of detail where I'm putting my focus. And as the game goes on, the players essentially create more detail for me that I can add to the rest of the world. Of course. And and that's very nice. So that's one way to kind of manage all this. Yeah. Because like now that you've created the broad strokes of your world through just a series of 20 questions. I think even just right there, we have a lot of information to work on, but the, the next question becomes, what is the gameplay of this world? What, what am I promising my players? What sort of characters do I expect them to make? 
you know, and what what kind of challenges can they face or can they expect to, to, to face and what will they want to do? And is that all reflected here? Because mm. the, the whole point of the world building is ultimately to provide that space where we can do the social interaction, the battles, the exploration, and all those different ways that we like to play our game. You know, it actually um, makes me think of of tailoring the the setting and the experience to literally being um, built around the idea that if you are a PC, you are a um, like a naval courier. Like the PCs are part of one of these shipping companies. Maybe there are a few different ones, kind of like factions, you know. You their, just, their job is to, like, sail over the rim and get to the other part of the world. Yeah, and that and that and that's why they are special. That's, you know, the, the way adventurers typically seem like they're, you know, more than the average Ursu. So the, the campaign could be called job. We're, hey, I've got a job for you adventurers. Oh, you want us to go to the... Yes, I want you to go over the... It's another job for you. You always give us good jobs. I have to bleep all this out now. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? You can't... You can't just... You can't say that. <laughs> We're going to get letters. <laughs> That'd be nice. It would. It would be nice. <laughs> like even some hate mail, that'd be something. I'm I'm only but I'm only going to bleep out. <laughs> so now everyone's going to think I'm saying John or something. And but now I'm going to I'm going to bleep that too. So they're they're not gonna. <laughs> they're just gonna hear job, and they're gonna have to fill in the blank. <laughs> there you go. Uh, bleeping stuff in editing is a lot of fun, kids. When if and when you ever get to edit uh, audio, there are there's an untold amount of fun to be had with bleeping things out. Even and sometimes especially when there's nothing that actually does need to be bleeped. There, there's a whole channel and series of things on YouTube called Unnecessary Censorship where, like, one of my favorites is, the, is an old one where the Count from Sesame Street sings and he's singing his song and every time he says, Count they bleep it and the whole song is about counting and when you bleep out count the 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 uh, the tenor of the uh, the the count's song uh takes a turn for the humorous very good andrew yeah why don't you take us a turn for the completion of this episode <laughs> i was like what are you trying to do but <laughs> there a pun? I'm not hearing a pun. Oh, I was trying to think of one, and, and no. 
Yeah, my see, even asking the questions just fries your brain. This this really did make me think a lot. Um, you know, and all all joking and hyperbole aside and stuff. Um, this was very cool and very interesting. I just having gone through um through these questions really gives me um an even greater appreciation for world building and you know how to how to approach this kind of thing because world building as a topic especially if you're you know just a hobbyist or kind of an amateur writer that sort of thing it can be incredibly daunting it, it is for me um and i like how this um how the author really you can tell he put a lot of thought into these questions and they are specific enough to really get you coming up with like hard and fast answers to things like a lot of the questions you asked were asking for a specific detail they they want you to pin something down and the nice thing about that is as you go you start building up a very concrete framework which is nice when you want to start playing in a homebrew world because when you start you do want to start small you know you start in the the village tavern and for all intents and purposes the entire world as far as what your players are dealing with is just that village maybe not even that it might even just be a portion of it or that village and a little bit of the surrounding area but in order to answer player questions and kind of guide them along through the world as the game master, you want to give yourself a point of reference. And, you know, because your players are going to ask you questions about the world and you are going to build the rest of it together. So having just these 20 questions, if not, it, it sounded like there were even more in, in the well, there was 20 questions, but there's more information in the book. Like, sure. One thing I might even want to go over in another episode is building a magic system. Oh, and that is. Yeah. And yeah. this has so many different ways to approach magic in different genres. Oh, totally. Like in like in different time periods and stuff that, you know, give your give you rules for magic. And that's very good, not only for role playing game building, but for story building as well. So. Totally. Yeah. One, so, one thing I find quite irritating is a magic system in a piece of fiction that doesn't make any sense and is inconsistent. Yep. Yep. It's and on the other hand, what can be really satisfying is when you find a magic system in a piece of fiction that does make sense where yeah, where it seems like there are rules and, and things. I know um, one of my favorite a series that was introduced uh, to me by a mutual buddy of ours who's in our Monday night group um, is the series by uh, Steven Erickson called uh, Malazan Book of the Fallen. And that 
series has an incredibly well thought out magic system that as you read the series, you start to cotton on to the the little rules of how magic works and getting an understanding of how magic functions is actually like integral to the story. You don't quite get it at first, but you get the sense that there are rules. So as you go, you get turned on to like, here's, here's another little tidbit. Here's another little puzzle piece. And as the story goes, you start getting this broader picture of how magic functions within the world and it can be this really uh give you this very gratifying uh eye-opening feeling as you discover more and more as the uh, as the book goes but that's neither here nor there um adam what was the uh title of the book again the ultimate rpg game masters world building guide by by James D'Amato. Okay. So everyone who's listening. That's D apostrophe A-M-A-T-O. Ah, thank you. Go check that out. Buy the book, buy the PDF. Um, Please support creators. These guys, you know, are really, you know, they're doing the Lord's work. And I support it fully. Um, And I am very grateful for for this book. And I'm grateful to you, my pal, for introducing me to this and uh, taking the time to run me through it because it was it was it was a lot of fun. And now I have this now we have this world floating around in our heads um, like this great, big, amazing cereal bowl in the sky that we can fill <laughs> the with cereal bowl. We can fill with Raisin Bran Crunch. Mm. We can fill it with life. We can fill it with life. We can fill it with the secret ingredient. Mm. Mm. That's right. We sir could. That's the milk of life, you might say. Yes. Yes, you might. And if you want to partake of the milk of life, that is love and friendship and companionship and camaraderie, then you can use the spoon of Patreon.com. <laughs> Yes, you can by heading on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point where you can support us at the one, five or $20 tiers and join us amongst other places, but also at our uh, private discord channel where you can interact with us and our wonderful little community populated by those wonderful individuals mentioned at the front of the video so if you head over there check out the different tiers and bonus if you hit the $20 tier you will get to participate in a game with Mr. Adam Power here Um, apart from that if you'd like to check out the website head on over to inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com And there, if you are on desktop, you will see three little buttons in the upper right-hand corner. And if you're on mobile, they will be in the top center. And those buttons will take you to Facebook, Twitter, and our Patreon, respectively. So, 
all that being said and out of the way, go check out Elden Ring if you haven't. It's a lot of fun. And uh, let's see. Ah, look for the tells that your GM is giving you in your game. Look for the clues and do your best to participate and help out with those. And lastly, build yourself a world. Think about the questions that we've presented here as well as others that will without doubt pop into your mind while going through the process. Go back and listen to World Building 101 Part 1 and try answering those questions. Maybe answer them two different ways as you go, you know, and see what kind of things your wonderful, wonderful minds are able to come up with. So, happy world building. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye! That's where I Goodbye, flat everybody. Line. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.